0: aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm Tyler Smith. I'm David Batts. And thank you for listening, David. Yes.
1: How you doing? Uh, I'm on steady ground. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's been, oh, uh, it's been a wild weekend. Right. We actually talk, uh, we'll be talking about this on an upcoming Patreon episode. Uh, yeah, in a couple days. Uh, yeah, but, um... Yeah, we had a a, a lot of, uh, or we had two big earthquakes, yeah, back to back, and some aftershocks. Yeah, I guess the first one is a foreshock. That's how they say. Oh, because first, so on when it happened on July fourth, it was an earthquake. Mm. But then on July fifth, when there was a bigger one, the July fourth one got downgraded to a foreshock. <sighs>
0: um, Can't we all just say it's a bunch of stuff that happened? Uh, like uh, I, this means I don't. I don't like. People, uh, I don't but, like this uh, retconning of earthquakes.
1: Um, (laughs) uh, yeah we don't we don't need to go into the whole story about what we were doing what happened because we talked about you can find Mm -hmm. that on the on the patreon episode this week we talked a little bit uh about that but it did i will say something i didn't say on the patreon is that uh i tend to have tend to be very split on earthquakes when they happen i often do have this little sort of like roller coaster like thrill ride, like coming up against the death wish type of like sure. like I'm weirdly enjoying this, and then like uh, like uh, I guess this is like people getting uh, getting addicted to like adrenaline jumping out of planes and stuff sure. be times like there'll be an earthquake, and then like a couple hours later, I'll be like. I miss, I miss that earthquake because <laughs> it was like, it let me know I was alive in a way. Um, I have a, I have a hard time being super
0: excited about earthquakes because if it's, if it's like a shaky little fun ride for me, I'm just like someone somewhere, it is not a fun yeah. The, yeah R- Ridgecrest, Ridgecrest, Ridgecrest is without
1: power. Yeah. Um, the liquor of Ridgecrest have had a, have had a real uh, story of Everest type of weekend. Well, and you <laughs> know what? I'll say this.
0: Uh, so on on friday um I was out and about and so i I was in my car when the earthquake hit and I was planning on just go I was heading to food for less to get some groceries so I went and then I went and got groceries and i and I, as I was pushing my car to the my cart uh, to the front, I saw that um the lines were really long, and I saw that every single person had just tons of bottled water oh, okay. in their cart. And I just thought like, Oh my gosh. I was like, that feels like an overreaction. And I thought, eh, if you're in Northridge and there's sure. an, and there's a couple earthquakes in a row, you, you start to be like, okay, I've seen this movie yeah, before. A, I know how this works. Memory. Yeah. And so immediately I'm like, well, I'm going to follow their lead. So I'm like, I didn't fill my car with bottled water, but oh, yeah. I I bought one big pack of a pack of bottled water and I was just Do you like, You have an earthquake kit? No, I and I realized that I I need to have
1: one. Yeah, we, we we did my mom got us one. I think uh yeah. when we well, probably when we got married maybe. Yeah. Um uh, anyway there's a number of things I can't remember I was going to say something else but oh yeah this is the first one that lasted long enough for me to be nervous there was something else I was going to say oh yeah which is that I tend to fear the big one and I feel like a 7.1 even though obviously the epicenter was a long way Mm -hmm. uh, away like almost halfway to Vegas it seems like they felt in Vegas too um it's it's that's crazy yeah um uh, it did ease my fears a little bit about like okay I, I think I can weather uh, this but then you know the difference between a 6.4 and a 7.1 is actually like it builds on itself it's not like right. it's not just it's it's, uh, it's like compound interest so it's not interest. just seven clicks bigger yeah, yeah. Um, but the, yeah the last thing I was going to say is having places like Los Angeles well, Angelina like to talk a big game about being blasé about earthquakes, like yeah. oh, we let it roll off our back or uh, or whatever. But uh, and I have the same thing the one time I was in New Orleans when there was a hurricane coming. You, yeah, people in that part of the world are like, ah, we've seen. They pretend right. until it actually happens, and rightfully, people cannot stop. Ta- Los Angeles cannot stop talking about the earthquakes. Yeah, uh, as evidenced by you and you and I doing it right here.
0: Yeah. Although admittedly, after the first one, because I as I mentioned uh, or as I will mention in our patreon episode, um, as you will have mentioned yeah oh boy uh, so uh, time's folding in on itself <laughs> um, i was I was teaching my students from Italy uh, when it hit when the when the the fourth of July one hit and um, and they didn't know what to do and and I myself it's weird i wasn't thinking in terms of oh i should reassure them and i should tell them okay everyone get on your under your desks i was thinking in terms of an angelino and i wasn't actually that panicky about it i was just standing and i was just like i was like oh everybody hey it's an earthquake and i was saying almost like it's a novelty just kind of assuming like it'll be done in a moment yeah and so let's just wait until it's done yeah and then it was and uh these were the longest ones i've experienced as i said I still think that the one from a few years ago that happened at like six AM I I and woke and woke me up. That was the thing is it woke both me and yeah. Jen up in bed. And that one, maybe that feels like the biggest one because it was jarring. Cause I was right. asleep. Um, but certainly that the one when I was in my car, I think yeah. from a couple days ago, that one, definitely got my attention and it did and it was fairly long
1: all right we uh speaking of fairly long we have a big episode to get to yeah but before we do yeah
0: um i did want to tell everybody about um our patreon um it is available at two t- uh, previously only this two tiers. Patreon.com slash battleship retention. You can also click right. out in the battleship com. Exactly. Um, so we did have two tiers there is the $5 petty officer and then the
1: $10 uh, admiral. And the $5 um, now gets you four extra episodes a month. Yes. The $10 gets you four extra episodes a With video, so you got audio or video, audio and video if you want. Right. Um, And it gets you access to our uh, back catalog of premium episodes, all the commentaries and other such things we've done. So,
0: So what's this new tier then? This new one, I've been uh, thinking of it. I'm trying, I gotta look up, I was thinking of just calling it Swabby, uh, which is like the person that swabs the decks, which I'm pretty sure petty officers do, but I like the idea of just calling it Swabby. Um, And so, Uh, and between yeah. between announcing this and then posting it, I That's need to actually the find a graphic. rank
1: on a ship that I can think of that isn't an offensive term. <laughs> yeah, sure.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, all right. Let's uh, let's not head down that path. But um, so essentially, uh, what I thought was, you know, maybe people don't want to spend five bucks to try, you know, to try the you know these new episodes. So here's what it is: it's going to be two dollars per month, and for that. You will get one new episode per month. Uh, It might come out at different at different times because it will be up to uh,
1: Tyler's discretion yeah
0: which like, episode you get the types of episodes that we do uh, we do list episodes where we pick a, a year at random or rather the randomizer picks the year for us yeah. and then we talk about our five favorite movies of that year we do a mailbag we do our TV journal we do uh, a fun game where we uh, guess the, the like celebrity sightings or yeah. as many questions
1: as it takes exactly in the
0: case of uh, one upcoming yeah. one <laughs> um, and so uh, so they tend to be a bit more fun. Uh, they're about forty-five minutes each. So if you wanted to try out uh, the Battleship Retention Patreon for a, a low, low price, uh, uh-huh. you can you can uh, be a part of the Swabby tier, uh, and uh, for two dollars a month, you would have access to one episode per one new episode per month, as well as. Uh, it's, it's retroactive as well so you would get one episode per the last you know three four months three or four long. months yeah. so you'd immediately have access to four episodes and then you'd get one episode a month and then if you wanted to upgrade to the the petty officer yeah. or the admiral you can do that as well
1: yeah this is a little uh, yeah it's like uh, when they have you go to a beer bar and they have the, the smaller glass so you can it's like sure
0: a, it's a sample yeah. yeah it's not a free sample though but at no. two bucks come on
1: yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that, uh, you can find that at patreon.com slash battleship pretension or just click on the link at battleship mm. I also want to tell you about tweakedardio.com. tweakedardio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great, they sound great, and Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Today I was listening to the new album uh, by uh, black metal fans are going to uh, know how to pronounce this. I'm not a big enough black metal fan to know. Uh, Abath? Abath? It's basically like the word Sabbath. Without the S. Anyway, uh, and he, it's a one-man outfit. Uh, That's the name of the outfit. Uh, (laughs) um, uh, Has a new album called Outstrider uh, that I was listening to. It sounded great on my TweakedAudio.com earbuds, uh, and those are available at a low, low price at TweakedAudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one-third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to TweakedAudio.com and use the offer code pretension.
2: Okay, it's time to commit. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Tyler? Yes. Let's get into it, shall we? Okay. It is the first week of July. Half of 2019 is in our rear view. And we are going to do something that I've wanted to... I don't know. We've never done this before. I've always wanted to do this. Um, And I would say the reason we haven't done it will be highlighted by your contributions yes. is that you and I tend not to be that caught up at this point in the year right. I've done a better job <laughs> this year so that's kind of and also we have right. um, uh, a guest joining us um, who I know keeps up on movies so um, I've done a better job so uh, we're going to talk about our top fives of the year so far and joining us to pat out our poultry uh, <laughs> selections is Battleship Retention editor at large Scott Nye it's just easier if you can keep up as it goes
2: you guys pack them into the end of the year
1: he's new you know how hard that is yeah and that's why that's why i'm getting keep a good gallop going why i'm getting better at that although the, i still have the problem and we'll talk about this because i a lot of my favorite movies that have come out in america in 2019 so right. far i think of as 2018 movies oh right You have so that whole. i'm gonna do at the end i will mention some of those when hold off of mentioning them now because i think because you are not following that rule, Scott. I think you and I might have some overlap yeah. on that. Well, but there's but, also stuff that I saw in 2018 that hasn't come out yet in 2019. Uh, yes, we should also do that at the end. Okay. Some <laughs> stuff that we stuff that has released 2019 yeah. release dates that we're looking forward to that we know we've seen. Yeah. I don't know if you have any that are coming out. Nope. Um, yeah, I guess that's... Well, you've seen Lion King? No, that's this no, week. No, that's this week. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, you. I guess you haven't. Um, but let's just get started. And so, Tyler... W- do you have any introductory uh, here's the deal. statement, introductory comments? Yeah. All right. Um, I have an opening
0: statement, uh, <laughs> disclaimer. Yeah. Um, you know, let me, uh, consult my lawyer as I cover the microphone, <laughs> as I, yeah. uh, unfold my statement. Um, yeah. So, uh, I, essentially here's the situation. Um, I am uh, fairly new in my career. Right. Um, and every semester is different all right I'm not at a point where I have a full time teaching job it's different from one semester to the next and that and then because I'm not a full time salaried teacher that means that during the summer I also have to do a fair amount of hustling and uh, so like Right now, I'm teaching for this program where students from Italy come and visit Los Angeles, and I lecture them about film. Um, that sounds like <laughs> I'm just telling them all the things they're doing wrong, which is actually kind yeah. of true. Uh, and then I'm also uh, I'm also it's getting. They make you work on the Fourth of July. I know. Because it means nothing to these Italians exactly in yeah. fact, they actively say like really anti America stuff, <laughs> which is weird because i 'm talking yeah. um, uh, they say like death to america it 's really like dark stuff anyway um, so there 's that and then i 'm also working on a on a, a, a video project that is i 'm excited i 'm getting Very paid i 'm getting paid to do yeah. it, and so there 's that while i 'm also hustling to get jobs for the fall. Uh so my availability to watch movies has is, is been more limited this in the last several months. Um it's been great, you know, I've been teaching at several colleges at this point, but it does mean that my selection of 2019 movies is is extremely limited and I keep meaning to catch up and then something will come up and I realize the two hours that I could spend... I've also been sick for, like, the last two months. That's right, you were sick a lot, So I haven't been able to, like... There are movies released in the theater that I wanted to see, but I knew I would just cough all the way through them. So, um, and I wound up having to, like, skip out on screenings I wanted to see. It was... uh, It's been a... In many ways, a great 2019... For me personally and professionally, right. But as far as the podcast goes, cinematically, not the best. So my top five, which is I have a, deeply questionable.
1: You were going to send it out, but I decided it would be fun yeah. <laughs> to yeah. see yeah. what David, David ends up thought. It. My
0: ignorance uh, <laughs> and my, uh, my un- unprofessionalism
1: would be a fun you just, bit. This is this is the result of your professionalism. This is <sighs> that's what you just got done saying. I guess so. that is not how I'm trying to to color this at all. All right. I just thought it would be fun. So let's let's start then. What's your number five so far of 2019? All right, my
0: number five is a movie that's still pretty good, and at least and it's one that kicked off something of an obsession for me. Okay, it is uh, Alex Gibney's The Inventor. Oh, okay. Which is a documentary about Elizabeth Holmes and her company Theranos. Um, I had heard a little. I had heard a little bit about it beforehand. Then I saw the documentary. And then that led me to listening to the entire audiobook, and then ABC News released a podcast about it, uh, both of which I listened to um, as recently as this past week while I was doing other things. And uh, it's just a story I find fascinating, and I've seen it recently enough that we've talked about it on the podcast, so I don't necessarily want to repeat everything, but... the film is fine. It's like any Alex Gibney film. It's interesting. He's telling a story that's inherently interesting, and then he doesn't get it. He doesn't really stand in the way of it, but he also doesn't dig deep either, especially now that I've listened to the audiobook and I and there's so much more to the story that would be great to, to see um, the film just feels a little bit incomplete and it feels It doesn't feel content. It feels complacent. It feels as though he is, he's like, okay, we have enough to hook people. And that's, and that scene, that's kind of where he stopped as Alex Gibney often does. Mm -hmm. But within that, the story is still inherently fascinating. He, as a filmmaker does make, he makes movies that are pleasurable to watch and pleasurable to behold often maybe for the, for the wrong reason, because he often creates a sense of superiority within the audience so that we feel like we are better than the subjects we're looking Mm at. Um, so like this is my number five and clearly I'm kind of conflicted about it. Um, but here's the thing. I, I heard that, um, it's been an essentially announced that there's going to be a narrative film of this story starring Jennifer Lawrence and directed by Adam McKay. So that's going to make me think this documentary is a fucking masterpiece. <laughs> I think that project's on hold. Actually, is it on there hold? Haven't okay. been
2: any announcements. about And then Hulu announced they're doing a series with Kate Middleton.
0: Wait, no, it, Kate. Who's Kate Middleton? Not, no, Kate Middleton's yeah. the princess. Kate. Uh,
1: uh, Bosworth.
0: <laughs> McKinnon. Kate McKinnon. Yes. Yeah, I had heard that. I That's what I had heard about, and then I was looking on Wikipedia yeah. uh, for the book, and it said it's going to be adapted by Adam McKay. I didn't know that was on hold, and I was like, oh, I thought it was going to be... I just haven't heard anything new about yeah. it, and it was announced before Vice even got in production, so oh, I, okay. I can't imagine it's on anyone's... Kate McKinnon, when I heard that, yeah. I was thrilled, Okay, because I think, I think it'll give her a lot to do, not just comedically, right. but also I think as an actress it would actually provide her with a fair amount of depth because one of the fascinating things that they don't really dig into in Alex Gibney's film which seems like the kind of thing he would latch onto is that um, Elizabeth Holmes everyone mentions that she has a surprisingly deep voice okay people who've known her are like she didn't always have that voice huh like it seems to be a voice that everyone's like hey she's a female in a in a male dominated industry so maybe this is her way of kind of making herself seem less feminine but a lot mm-hmm. of people from workers to old friends of hers agree that like oh she's putting on that voice interesting and she like never she like never drops it only occasionally when she's like really tired or drunk do people start to hear oh. this other thing <laughs> so it's like i think it'd be i would love that i love that it would be a series and not a movie i think they would that would really be effective um but yeah so the documentary is interesting insofar as it's an entry point to the story itself and i was very happy that i listened to the the audiobook um so my number five is a movie that i think is interesting but only okay that's Alex Gibney. Yep. <laughs> uh, well, my number five, speaking of people putting on weird voices, is
2: Jordan Peele's Us, um, which I really loved when I first saw it, and I've been unable to really shake from my head. And I think it uh, builds on the director talent that he established in Get Out and goes to much weirder and more interesting places and is really fundamental. I mean, it's kind of like his, the birds, not only because of how it ends, which is very similar to how the birds mm-hmm. ends. Um, but also because it seems to dig up something about the characters that it can't quite put its finger on. And even if it comes to a conclusion that some might find neat and tidy, I think that what it digs out about the dark underside that we all kind of carry, that we don't acknowledge and we maybe try to live with in some way is really interesting it's just a really thrilling funny uh pretty scary time at the movies i saw it on a tuesday with a full crowd and everyone was having a ball and it was a blast to watch and i i know tyler's not into the movie i am not uh but
0: he is wrong uh, I think
1: well, I, like, the, I have one later that Scott didn't like. so okay. uh, right. yeah. I mean, the I first think they,
0: forty-five minutes are genuinely very scary, and then it becomes. I think it it's overtaken by theme at that point. It, thankfully, the the acting is great. That's what I was going to say. And is carries that us through whatever else happens. Lupita Nyong'o is pretty amazing. She's, it? she's marvelous. Um, what's the turning point? where You think it's overtaken by theme? I think when it when it when it is the doppelganger family. Yeah. it's just about that, and they split off and kind of essentially pair off yeah I think that works really well but it's when they branch out and show the larger story at play which is not inherently bad but I think they he he decides to go more broad with his theme which allows him to explore deeper things which is great but in doing so I think it just becomes less certainly less frightening and less suspenseful and it just feels like now it feels almost it almost feels like at that point he's world building and not right. actually telling a, a scary story. I think the world building comes and starts to be a bit of an issue once she discovers the escalator.
2: Um, that's definitely for sure. But yeah. once they start building out, like I really liked all the Tim Heidecker
0: and Elizabeth Moss stuff, I, especially cause they're doing such interesting work. Um, they do. I, I would like to see maybe like one more scene of getting to know them. Sure. So I feel I some level of, engagement with the characters, but yeah, it's, I, and that's the thing is that people think it's neat and tidy. I actually think the ending is remarkably disorganized and not in the way I like. Um, maybe it's that balance that I like. (laughs) Yeah. But, yeah, but Lupita Nyong'o, the acting all around is great. Winston Duke is pretty great, too. <laughs> it's such a specific yeah. type of character that is just delightful. And he's funny without it just turning into a nonstop joke of a character. Yeah, they don't turn him into like a dopey dad yeah. from a cereal commercial yeah. or something <laughs> like that.
1: All right. Uh, I have not seen us. Um, no, so number five for me is Ritesh Batra's Photograph. Um I had really oh, enjoyed Oh right. I was trying to remember
2: what movie this was, but I haven't seen it
1: but uh I had really enjoyed his last film which was called The Lunchbox, which was a very much a high concept sort of romance romance movie slash romantic comedy, but with so many cultural specifics that you don't normally see because it took place uh it took place in India and has to do with the Indian lunch delivery service, which mm. is a whole uh a whole uh, subculture. There. I know all about it. Um, what's that? I don't know anything about it. <laughs> oh, okay, it's, it's, you should read up on it. They did, uh, Anthony Bourdain talked about it back on No Reservations, so I first heard about it. Anyway, so I really liked the lunchbox. So I was very excited to see Photograph and Photograph again. Is has a very, it has a hook. It has a high concept. It's still it's romance, but it also it, it almost seems to intentionally undercut the high conceptness of it by being so. Subdued and so quiet. Whereas if the, if there were a Hollywood remake of this, you'd have stock character types and the, and and and, uh, and and big broad jokes. But the the premise of the photograph is that there's a, uh, a a guy who's he lives in. Um, I'm Trying to remember where it takes place. Uh, I think it's Mumbai. Um, he's from a smaller village. He makes his living at the. Uh, Gates of India Whatever the big uh, Monument is He just hangs out With a camera And takes tourists Photographs And they pay him For a photograph And um, he Takes a picture Of this one woman Who's a Who's a local And is um, uh, From a sort of upper middle class family class has a lot to do with this uh, and then she walks off without ever taking the picture and then later when his grandmother is hounding him for not being married yet he says no I have a girlfriend here I'll send you a picture of her and sends a picture and then the grandma says great I'm coming to Mumbai to meet her <laughs> and so then this guy has to track down this 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 woman that, she, that he took a picture of and convince her to pose as his girlfriend again very high concept thing you can see a Hollywood movie doing this but apart from the premise being high concept, everything about the execution is very ground level, (laughs) very character focused, very quiet. The movie is incredibly quiet and subdued. And then occasionally there are, because he, um, uh, there are there are funny mo- funny moments. The when the grandma comes to town, she is the comic relief you expect. He lives uh, he lives with a bunch of other people from from his small town. It's, it's part of the joke is that he lives in this huge city, Mumbai, one of the most popular cities. And everywhere he goes in his little neighborhood, people are like, "Your grandma's asked me when you're going to get married." Like everyone <laughs> knows uh, his small town. And he lives in the one room with like six other guys. And when the grandma comes, she stays with them too. And there's a lot of like group comedy uh, out of that dynamic, but mostly. It's very sweet and very quiet, and very also very aware of of um, the class dynamics that it's that it, that it that it's playing with, and ends in a way that I found absolutely um, breathtaking and and moving. But uh, again, if I'm comparing it to if there were a Hollywood remake, this is not the ending that it would uh, at all end up with. But um, yeah, this was uh, one of the so one of my favorite films that I saw at at Sundance this year. Um, Richard Bartra's photograph. All right. Okay. Next up, my number
0: four of the year, and I have to assume it's going (laughs) to stay. I'm being sarcastic, of course. Uh, That is David F. Sandberg's Shazam, Um, which you know what? I'll be honest. I like it more now than when I first reviewed it. Um, And I, and I, it it is a flawed film um, as superhero movies often are, but what it's doing And where it goes right, it goes very right. Um, Specifically, like I'm, I'm put in mind, uh, David. I think you will remember this, but this might be a situation where Scott, you might be a little bit too young because it was a commercial campaign when I when I was a kid, and it had to had to do with drinking milk and making you big and strong oh yeah you know yeah okay so essentially like you see two kids okay and it's like oh here's an older brother and he like picks on his younger sister and it's like go ahead and pick on me now brother or whatever uh she doesn't (laughs) say brother she's not Hulk Hogan (laughs) but like she'll she'll say like she'll call him like she'll call him like big brother like to establish the relationship and then she's like but I'm drinking milk and it's gonna build up my bones and then you see her like get older and and Become like a young, like athletic, uh, like twenty something woman. So she's really playing the long game here, <laughs> right? And then like he's staying the same. I'm like hey, milk commercial. He's gonna grow too.
1: Uh, but anyway, and so and the, it's with that the last shot is her breaking his legs, right? It's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's like <laughs> this way. She's like yeah. a professional wrestler. He's <laughs> right. a little child, yeah. and she's just and like she's popping, just beating the hell out of him.
0: Um, <laughs> And so, uh, <clears throat> but that's the thing is it's that idea. It plays very much to that. Like this, the movie reminds me of that commercial campaign It like, because that those commercials played to kids who felt like they didn't belong and that the world was like going to beat up on them or that they're smaller and more and they find the world more intimidating. And so, uh, here we have a character who is, who is was abandoned by his parents. He's going from one foster home to the next. Um, and he just feels so directionless and worthless and he has nothing really going for him uh and then the villain is is a guy who was born into a very rich family but his father did not like him his older brother was abusive to him so you have and throughout the entire film you have these characters that are just sort of on the fringe of society and they and and everybody is looking for like how can I get this advantage and what do I do with it when I have it the concept of this power fantasy and while I think the villain played by Mark Strong is, is not super well developed essentially he gets one type of power and then the, the kid gets another type of power and he becomes Shazam and it's that standard idea of like with great power comes great responsibility <laughs> but what it, underneath that is this idea it's like just because the world has beaten you up doesn't mean that now that you have power you can mm-hmm. fight back. In fact, your your ability to restrain yourself from doing that is what makes you a hero as opposed to a villain. And so the film does that really well and explores it really well. Um, I do think that it it's it's kind of it's kind of a sloppy script uh, and it's episodic in a way that that doesn't really work for really any kind of superhero movie um but the performances are good and and it was a pleasant enough experience and it does find a way like i said it's not exploring anything remarkably new within the genre but it feels new it feels fresh the way sandberg approaches it so um it again is there's going to be the case with every film i talk about it is a flawed movie but it's one that is still enjoyable within its genre yeah i like it a lot uh
2: i do think mark strong and the the kid who plays the young Billy Batson uh, are
0: huge weak points in the movie Mm. yeah and I think I think the issue with the kid as opposed to Zach Levi is like ostensibly they're the same person right but they're giving two very different performances yeah and I'm tempted to fault the kid more because he's such a drip (laughs) where Zach Levi at least is excited to be there (laughs) as opposed to the, f- the friend. Yeah, totally. He's great that yeah. he was in uh, It, okay. and he was great in It. Um, I liked him a lot, too. And he's also in a situation where he's actually he's in the same position as Billy Batson, except he is also disabled. Right. And, he's cho- and you can actively see he has chosen to o- to attempt to cope with his right. situation through humor, but he is still very scared and very angry. I feel like it does all that pretty well but it definitely has its its weak points yeah but it the final battle pushed it over the edge to positive for me because that's yeah. so well done yeah <laughs> not to mention like i don't want to spoil anything right. but you know there's all kinds of situations where there's essentially not a doppelganger but there's like a double like here's yeah this person you know and then here's this double and Adam Brody shows up, yeah, and just Nails vi- it. just visually the perfect casting, <laughs> It's a hundred percent on point. Yeah. like when I saw that, I was like, "Well, that's you don't get better than that." <laughs> so,
2: <clears throat> all right, uh, my number four is Olivier. So this is nonfiction. Uh, is this on your list, David? This would be on my 2018 right films list. Classic. Well, uh, it's Classic actually <laughs> a twenty nineteen film, at least here in the United States of America. While I we know, still have I'm them, David, we should celebrate the films that we have.
1: <laughs> David <laughs> Look, is a citizen you, of the world, Scott, uh, yeah. I'm telling you, I understand how this is frustrating to people. <laughs> But back in 2006, when people were putting Army of Shadows on the list, <laughs> it broke something in me. No, that's a bridge too far. There's a careful balancing act
2: that you have to establish. Okay, You have to establish various rules for and maybe, situations. And
1: maybe someday I'll be able to find that line. Yeah. But right now it feels like putting something that came out Anywhere in 2018 on the list is a slippery slope to putting Army of Shadows on
2: okay. my Um So this stars Juliette Benoche. She plays an actress on a popular kind of CSI type show. She is a... I saw the movie twice. I still can't remember how she defines her character. She's not a cop. Yeah. But she's like a crisis management expert or something, something like, like that? that. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Uh, she is married to Guillaume... Is that how you say Guillaume Canet? I don't know. Uh, it sounds right. That's the actor's name. Uh, he plays a publisher who has turned a prestigious but flailing publishing house uh, around, mostly by publishing more popular affair to balance out their more prestigious stuff. Uh, both of them are having affairs. Uh, she is having an affair with their close friend, uh, played by Vincent McCong, I really butchered his last name uh, who is himself an author that uh, Julie Burnish's husband publishes but whose latest book they refused because he keeps writing about his sex life and spicing it up in really uh, somewhat pervy but very amusing ways uh, and he in turn is married to a woman who's a political operator political operator makes some work size. she works on a political campaign um, she is not having an affair with anybody but seems like she probably could if she didn't end up getting sleezed out by her boss. <laughs> um, <laughs> so all these people are hopping into bed with one another and uh, along the way, discussing the state of especially publishing, but technology as a whole. And while I think a lot of, especially initial reviews felt that the film was too focused on the, like the publishing industry and just spouting off various theories about where we are as a society. What I think is really smart about what the movie does and what Olivia says, does a lot of the time is he really roots uh their perspectives and character concerns and you can see the ways that various characters form these seemingly objective opinions based on who they're romantically involved with and how they feel towards that person you know, you know juliet Benoche is a little bit more of a classicist as is vincent mcconn's character who uh as an author wants his books to be read, you know, in physical form and loves old media. So are they sleeping together because they share these opinions or do they share these opinions because they're sleeping together? And I think that is kind of the more, well, I think it's more what Olivier says is interested in is how we form these opinions rather than the opinions themselves and how that ends up shaping the world around us and how we see it. And he doesn't come to any satisfactory conclusion because how could you? And plus this is a French film. Um, but it's really funny and really well done along the way. And I think very thoughtfully executed without really putting a stamp on how finely written it is.
1: It's uh this is going to be a preview. So I'm going to say about another the movie later, but sometimes I feel like when a movie is a comedy, I feel like I, I, I feel pressured maybe to come up with reasons other than it's really funny right? for recommending it. And there are a lot of reasons with nonfiction, but it's also really, it's funny. also really funny. Yeah. It's, uh, I left It's, it's, it's not the most I've left in a theater this year. See my number two later. Um, but it's, it's definitely up there, and it's certainly the only movie of the year that had me laughing at a running joke about a Michael Hanukkah movie, <laughs> <laughs> um, which tells you the kind of people it's pitched toward. Right. I mean,
2: it's probably um, the only movie that has a running joke about a about Michael Hanukkah movie. Yeah. Well, yeah. hang on
1: now. <laughs> 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 That's right. I haven't seen Toy Story 4. Exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, and it also, that running joke also involves star Wars, the force awakens, right. which is the kind of movie, I mean, I am already predisposed to taking the, taking the piss out of the star Wars, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, fans. But like within this type of movie, just the phrase star Wars, the force totally Awakens" is a joke. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, uh, it gets, you get a lot of laughs out of that too. It also pulls off the thing that I'm always on the fence about in movies in which, a famous actor or actress is referred to who's in the movie is also referred to. Yeah. I think it's, they do it at just the right moment. Yes. It's very near the end. Yeah. They make a reference to getting Julia Binoche to do the audio book. Right. One of the, one of the books. Um, while, while, Juliette Julia Binoche is sitting right there. Um, Yeah, I I really loved
2: it. Oh, Oh, the the only other thing I want to mention with it is that it shot on sixteen millimeter. And while this might be me reading too much into it, the fact that it will almost necessarily only be shown digitally also kind of (laughs) digs at it's kind of divide between the modern technology and uh, more analog forms. Yeah, Um, I don't know if that was purposeful, but it feels like I don't know. There's something there.
1: All right, another um, uh, very funny uh, movie from. The other side of the Atlantic uh, is uh, my number four, and that's Stephen Merchant's Fighting With My Family. Oh, yeah. Um, Which I will also, uh, full disclosure, this is kind of the placeholder for the other... British feel good inspirational movie with a terrific lead female performance. Wild Rose, which is a better movie, but yeah. it's a 2018 movie in my <laughs> in my mind. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely don't sleep on Wild Rose, and uh, I can't wait until Jesse Buckley is the biggest star in the world. And I can say, I can say, I told you so. Uh, ever since <laughs> Beast. Um, anyway, that's something we were talking. We're talking about fighting with my, is, is fighting with my family, which uh, is. And I feel like this is going to be. This is kind of a. Um, a trend with the last two movies, which is that it's uh, or this movie and, that one, and, and and photograph are both kind of recognizable structures um, that I think photograph intentionally sort of undercuts, and this one just hits every note but does it with authenticity. Uh, and with honesty and with feeling for the characters and the situation, um, for, for the most part, it's got a lot of great, uh, jokes and laughs in it. It's got a great lead performance from Florence Pugh. Um, also the, I forget his name already. Who played her brother. He's great. Um, You've, don't, we don't, don't we've
0: all seen. Yeah, this? yeah. Here's the yeah, deal. Well, I, I, can, for, I forgot to put it on my list. Like yeah. I forgot to include it in my 2019 list. It oh. would definitely be in my top five, but oh. I'm not going to add it right now because that would throw everything off that I've already sure. done. Okay. So uh, it's great. It's a great movie. Uh, yeah. I think all the performances are good, but those two especially. Certainly. Yeah. Well, the and movie wouldn't work if they weren't as good yeah. as they are. Yeah. But yeah. that's well. That's yeah. the thing is, I feel like a lesser movie wouldn't ha- quite have had the heart for him. True. that that it did like it could have been like this is inspirational for her but it also recognizes that within every inspirational story someone somewhere is disappointed yeah. and maybe there's an envy and that can lead to bitterness but there is under under that a heartbreak and for i sure. think the film does both it it does like it manages to be inspirational and this other thing at the same time without either one overwhelming the other
1: um and uh, yeah, yeah yeah i i, I there's all sorts. of I I, I I laughed. I cried. There's a lot of great jokes. <laughs> I also like having uh, a comedian direct a comedy, even if it's not, it's not a pure comedy. Yeah. But I think there's now I haven't seen Drive Across Concrete, but I would say this is the best Vince Vaughn has been in years. He is great. Because um, I think having someone as who's as sure handed with the comedy as Stephen Merchant doesn't leave Vince Vaughn to flounder like he did in like the Neighborhood Watch movie where he's like like he's probably he's the best part of the movie but so much is just like turning on the camera and let him be Vince Vaughn and it, it feels kind of sweaty Richard Arawad is pretty funny in that uh, as I well I forgot he was in that yeah. I mostly remember the dynamic between Vince Vaughn and Jonah Hill being the only part that I really liked. but that's not what we're then when they're shooting um, that alien over and over yeah. I, I was a sucker for that <laughs> that bit uh is that our friend Doug Jones oh uh, yeah I guess so <laughs> anyway uh but that's one that's not here to talk about the watch um uh, Nobody is. <laughs> yeah, ha, that's that has always been true. Uh, <laughs> not yeah. just now. Um well, one thing the watch gave us is uh, um, what's his name being on uh, Last Man on Earth. Uh, what's his name? The oh, yeah. Last Man on Earth. Mel Rodriguez. Is that his name? Yeah, oh, that's, that's right. Because right. he and Will Forte played the security <laughs> guards together in that. Yeah. And he wrote the role for him on Last Man on Earth. Um, or actually, he told a funny story at Comic Con <coughs> where he kept he kept writing the role, being like writing it for like I need to get someone like Mel. And then yeah. we are like Oh right, Mel's an actor. Yeah. <laughs> <Very> <laughs> there is someone <laughs> yeah. exactly like Mel. <laughs> anyway, uh going back to what I was saying about Vince Vaughn, like he's got a couple of great Vince Vaughn type lines which is like uh you don't get to meet the rock, what do you make of wish kids? <laughs> That's a very Vince <laughs> yeah. Vaughn yeah. type of type of line, but he doesn't it doesn't lay on too thick. The only uh the only thing and I think I mentioned this in the movie journal that really, that took me out of the movie is there's this, there's a scene between Vince Vaughn and the rock yeah. or in Dwayne Johnson that clearly felt like someone on the money side being, you need a shot with both of our two biggest stars <laughs> yeah. in the movie together. There's no reason for them to be in the movie together. Uh, and yet they didn't even use it in the trailer. It felt like it was a shot made for the trailer. Exactly. Yeah. I went and watched the trailer. I was like, it wasn't in there anyway. I re- uh, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Laughed, cried. Florence Pugh was great.
0: Okay. Uh, all right. So my number three, of course, now I everything has an asterisk because uh, fighting with my family would be in here somewhere, but um, <coughs> is uh, uh, Avengers Endgame, a film that is, I would venture to say, deeply flawed, um, but there were certain emotional beats that it had to hit, and it hit them very, very well, um, and in, and there are some that I didn't realize it had to hit, but it did, and when it did hit them, it hit them in such a way that I was like, of course, that's perfect. Like, I did not. I mean, spoilers, whatever. You yeah, know. everyone's like seen it. Who cares? Yeah,
1: uh, except for those people uh, who were at that. Uh, right. Did you see when oh, Tom Holland was on? It uh, was like Graham Norton or something. Yeah, no, uh, yeah. He was promoting Homecoming, okay. and he talked. Okay, spoilers. Yeah. He mentioned Tony Stark being dead, yeah. and the people in the audience were like, "Oh!" <laughs> and it was like two months after it <laughs> yeah. came out. Everyone um, knows. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh,
0: like. I I wasn't expecting Captain America to get that hammer and so when it happens it winds up being a payoff from something you know totally. set up in Avengers Age of Ultron but you didn't realize that that was a setup that was ever going to be paid off it probably wasn't designed that way which is what's so good about it and then when it does pay off it just feels so very right and then it's you know so moments like that and then I really liked everything they do with Tony Stark at the beginning certainly when he's like just so angry and agitated and then at the end I think that works for me as well like they you know the film had to have a pretty big sense of finality, certainly for certain characters, but also for certain team dynamics, and I think it pulls that off. The section, <coughs> excuse me, the section in the middle, which as we know is what I call the clip show, uh, has moments that work. Thor with his mom works, um, but the rest of it feels oddly clever and winking. We're just like you almost want to say like. Well, you know that half the population is dead, right? Maybe let's not be so glib. Um, I understand you still need the sense of
1: humor, but it just its it just felt really uneven, that's that section. That's very because my big problem with the movie is that it wasn't funny enough. I felt like <laughs> it that's, was too dour and too waterlogged. But, you know,
0: but that's the thing is there's a way to combine the two, but there's the way in which it is trying to be funny doesn't quite work for me. And so when you're replacing something that could with something that doesn't, that's where it seems less funny. It's certainly attempting to be funny a lot. Um, but then there's other things. They make choices that are funny at first, but also there's a lot going on. Like they make a very specific choice with Thor mm-hmm. that Sounds a like you lo- liked a
1: lot of the Thor stuff.
0: I I did, and I wasn't expecting to. Um, But, uh, you know, the idea of of Fat Thor, and so many people said, like, oh, it's body shaming. Like, people had a lot of different reactions to it. But upon seeing the film a second time, and I thought this the first time, but the second time, it's just like, this is a guy who gained a lot of weight, grew out his hair and his beard, and is constantly wearing sunglasses while getting, while in a pretty much a drunken stupor all the time. I cannot think of a bigger uh, of a better example of someone trying to get away from themselves mm. at that moment. And it really and even though they play it for laughs like underneath once again kind of with fighting with my family, there's a, a a real heartbreak that Chris Hemsworth is also playing and uh that's the thing is it's it is it is not a perfect film and I have big problems with the fact that the Thanos they're fighting is not the Thanos we know, basically. Right. Um, But I still, the film was still pretty satisfying for me. Yeah, I think it's pretty stellar, and the
2: Fat Thor thing's a big reason why. Actually, the fact that they stick with it, and that's where I don't think it is body shaming, because I think the body shaming thing would have been if he, like, when he's like, I'm still worthy, and then, like, lightning, abs. Yeah. But no, he's still the same guy. Yeah. And
0: there's nothing, that doesn't take anything away from him. yeah. He still he still fights and still yeah, yeah. and he somehow looks even more when he when he's fat, Thor. That sounds such a mean thing to say. But like when he's fat, Thor, and then he gets the the Thor armor back on, right. And his beard is all braided and all that. In that moment, he's like you look more badass now than when yeah, you're in totally. shape. This is exciting to me.
2: Um, yeah, uh, and the film made me actually glad to see all the Thor and all the Captain America movies, which I never thought any movie would <laughs> yeah. make me. Well, yeah. I'm looking
1: forward uh, I'm on the fence about the for calling him Fat Thor thing because on the one hand, I'm with you. Guys, I'm really glad they stuck to it right on the other hand I wish that there had been more done with I, I guess yeah. so I just wanted the movie to be more fun Infinity War was so much fun and I didn't have fun with this one but speaking of fun uh and Thor why I'm really looking forward to the idea of Thor being in Garden Guardians 3 yes that's, yeah, that's intriguing. some of my best some of my favorite stuff from Infinity War which I've never seen like three or four times um is is uh Thor and Rabbit Thor and Thor and Rocket. <laughs> sure. Uh and the idea of them uh for a whole movie yeah it sounds uh, really appealing to me all right
2: Scott Uh, Yeah my number three Is a movie I doubt you guys have seen Because not many people Unfortunately have seen it Uh, It's a Swedish Science fiction film Called Anira. I've seen it No you haven't I know that voice (laughs) Yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's the directorial debut Of Pella Kegerman I know you didn't see it When we got the press Screening invite um, Maybe I was busy. I don't must know because I was too, but
2: I was uh, yeah, frustrated. <laughs> Some, a lot of these movies, they, especially the new art stuff, they screen at like 11 a.m. at the new
0: art. Oh,
1: right. Who the yeah. help them go to that? It's an
0: odd choice when they do that kind of thing. Like, I mean, it makes sense. No one's using the theater, but still, drag. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's a directorial debut
2: of Pelle Kägerman and Hugo Lilia, I think uh, you know Swedish name. Uh, it is based on a 1956 poem by Harry Martinson, uh, and it is about a kind of long distance touristy expedition to Mars. Uh, they, it's a space shuttle basically it makes us run that takes, you know, however long space shuttle runs take three weeks a month. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so every, there's kind of a routine established with it. And it's this gigantic ship that has like a shopping center and like yoga studios, workout rooms. It's basically a place people are designed to, it's like a cruise ship. They live there for a while while they're on their way to go see something else. Um, while they're on the course towards Mars, uh, it gets knocked off course by like an asteroid or something, and they essentially... It knocks out their system so they can't get back on course. So they're just free-floating in space. And there's no way to really rescue the ship. There's nothing they can really do about it. They have a vague hope that they convey to the passengers for a way to get back on, but that quickly becomes apparent that that's a distant possibility that probably is unlikely to ever happen. Uh, so the passengers gradually realize that they're just on a course to nowhere and are just going to die in the reaches of space unless they can try to find some way to harvest the little food that they have and like create a whole new society out there until they can land somewhere more habitable. But they don't do that. Uh, The film is incredibly deeply pervasively bleak about, uh, The trajectory humanity is on not only within the course of the film but i think within the world itself you know within the world we live on where we're facing the inevitable uh cataclysm of climate change but are both unable and unwilling to kind of course correct and build a more sustainable future the film routinely comes back to the children on the ship who aren't really characters within the film but are just kind of uh uh pervasive presence moreover um that the adults aren't really concerned about building a future for them or for themselves or for the baby that they're having along the way they're just going to keep floating and keep hoping that something's gonna fix it for them and it just keeps going with that and takes that honestly like as far as you can with that idea it's a hardcore science fiction film that I think digs at some real wow. truths about, uh, humanity's tendencies and it's really, really good and really, really bleak.
1: That sounds really enticing <laughs> to me. Um, all right. Uh, number three for me, although I, I'm wondering if I'd be putting a pin in it cause I might show up on someone else's list is John Wick chapter three Parabellum. No, 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 no I didn't like it that much. I liked it a lot. Um, Okay, here's uh, interesting because you when you, you and I were talking about doing this uh, episode, you said there's been only one great American film of 2019. I assumed this is the one you were talking about. <laughs> no, I was talking about us. Uh, wow, no, it's definitely John Wick Chapter 3 <laughs> Parabellum for me. Um, certainly the most fun I've had uh, in, in a theater. Um, yeah, probably the most fun I've had uh, in, in 2019. Uh, and I just, I, I like I said on the movie journal when I talked about it is, uh, I did, I, I do with with chapter two and chapter three, I have to kind of readjust and realize this isn't, this doesn't have that much to do with the emotional story of the first John Wick. Um, in, in this case, in both cases, it's really just further excuses to have crazy set pieces and and choreography and uh and um. Uh, Chad Stahelski is—that's the director, right? Sounds good. Um, yeah, I think really knows not only how to choreograph and stage fights as a, as a stuntman, but he knows how to how to how to present them. Um, and, and, and you know, it's, some, it's sort of uh, going back to something I said about nonfiction, and I'll say about other movies that uh, when a movie's trying to be a comedy, being funny is uh, the number one thing. It's, it's good enough. And I was thinking about. Um, So for the LA Online Film Critics Society, we did a half-year awards, okay? Um, (laughs) And uh, one of the people I nominated for Best Supporting Actress was Holly Berry, because I think uh, when you're making an action movie, part of the performance is being good at the action stuff. Yeah, totally. You know, and so... um, in the traditional ways we tend to think about great acting. I don't know if Holly, Bear I think Holly bear is good in the movie. I don't know that she's, uh, you know, plumbing depths or doing that sort of thing, but for what the movie needed her to be and needed her to do, uh, as a physical presence, I thought she was terrific. Um, it's a, a very long sequence that she's in. It's the highlight of the movie for me. The really? Morocco, that's the, the Morocco, low light of the movie. Uh, the Morocco sequence. Yeah. I think it's really weak. Oh, the Morocco stuff is the best for me. um, and it's a long sequence and she holds her own against, uh, or with Keanu Reeves. Uh, why do you find that to be the, uh, uh, one is I didn't find her particularly convincing at the action.
2: I, interesting. and maybe it's because, uh, she's the only woman in the scene and there's like some pulling punches when she's facing off against the guys. But I, I could feel the distance between the limbs and the faces or wherever, you huh. know, they're connecting. I mean, the best part of that sequence is that there's numerous dogs just chomping on guys' dicks. Yeah. Dog, yeah, dog, <laughs> As attack moves. Dogs eating dicks. Um, yeah. That's uh, yeah. but also the filmmaking is a little more scattershot and not as elegant, I think, as the rest of the film. Um, and certainly by the time John's wandering in the desert, it, that should have been such a cool sequence, but it just feels so choppy and, so, in oh, yeah, I guess
1: I, I, I'm referring specifically to the action scene in the, the yeah, part, building up to it. Yeah, after that, when he goes wandering, the desert, that, is, that did seem like a little bit of a. I don't <laughs> know. It felt like they were kind of rushing to get through Yeah, it, totally. And that's kind of how I felt about the whole sequence in general. I not huh. know. See, I, and I, I understand what you're saying about the, the finale. Certainly, when you mention elegance, there's more elegance with the, the aesthetic elegance. But I think there's, for me, for a John Wick movie. Yeah. Too much comedy in the in, okay. the in the finale. Too many like uh, I, the the Iron Chef guy. He's great <laughs> in the movie, but I think at a certain point his formidability as a as a villain um, is uh, undercut by his by his his jokiness. so I think the movie actually played into that by you think he's going to be the be seeing you guy at the end? Cause there's always right. a be seeing you person that he leaves alive. <laughs> uh, and it's not, yeah. um, he, he does the be seeing you to the, the Indonesian guys. And then when iron chef guy, I forget his name, but he was the host of iron chef America. I don't know. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Is he also the guy when
2: they're sitting down and like, he's kind of a big fan of John yes, Wick. Yes. And he's like, we're kind of similar. You and I, Yeah, and John Wick does that. We're, no, I think we're pretty different. Yeah. no. <laughs> he, he, plays the whole that time well. he has a dog licking his face. Yeah. That's no, the funniest he, part of the movie to me. He,
1: yeah. He plays that one. I do like, I like the movie that the iron chef guy does the, is clearly dying. Yeah. It does the be seeing you, yeah. be seeing you and, and John wicks like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's, uh, um, there's some good comedy in it, I think. Yeah. But I, it felt like it kind of undercut, uh, like the Indonesian guys sort of like, in let's talk about pulling punches. They intentionally back off a couple times. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, and that felt like it robbed some momentum for me. Uh, I don't know. Um, I like the Morocco sequence. I like Holly Berry. Anyway, now that we've spoiled large parts of genre <laughs> three for you, Tyler, <laughs> I wasn't really listening. Okay, what is uh, your random number two already? We yeah. are all right.
0: right. So my second favorite film. <laughs> the air's not turning on. I, don't I know. know what, right, I don't yeah. know what to tell no, you. You could switch it on. Uh, I did. Oh. It's not turning on. Interesting. That's a problem. Yeah. And now I'm preoccupied, so when I said I wasn't listening, I wasn't listening. Uh, okay, so uh, yeah, we get to a film. Speaking of action, this is a film that I recognize is not really that good in a number of ways, and yet I will defend it up and down because I really enjoyed it, and the more I think about it, the more I like it. And that is Robert Rodriguez, Alita Battle Angel. Um, did, did you guys see it? it? No, I missed it. Yeah, I didn't see it either. Uh, I think you'd like it a lot. I'm sure I would. I think you both probably
1: would. Yeah, I, mean, I, wonder, you're, I, you're I meant a, to catch it at the yeah. $3 theater, but I think that time has passed. Oh, I, I just went to the <laughs> $3 theater the other day and saw The Intruder. Check out The Intruder. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to.
0: Yeah. I really wanted to.
1: Very much of my Um mind. So uh,
0: Robert Rodriguez is just one of those directors that he's going to do what he's going to do. He has mainstream sensibilities to a point and then he will push things further than anybody would have expected and so so much of the story of alita ba- uh, battle angel is um is kind of it's got some plot holes and pe- characters do things that don't make a great deal of sense uh some things feel rushed some things feel forced uh and yet the the world that he's created and the, the characters that he's created are so interesting and the and the visuals of the character design um you know a lot of the characters not all of them but a lot of the characters are you know mocap um and it's and there are some ideas there that are actually quite disturbing. Like there are characters that are essentially a a robot, just an entire robot body, but they have a human face on and you're not sure like, okay, so is this a robot that got access to a human face or is this a person that has been replaced so thoroughly with robot parts that pretty much the only thing that is left is their face and brain. Um, And so there's, there's a surprising amount of disturbing material. Uh, There's a character that we view as fairly sympathetic who we know something's going to happen to this person. And then later it is revealed what is happening to them, what has happened to them. And essentially they've been reduced to like a brain and eyeballs in a jar. And that's really disturbing to think about. Um, And so that's, I wouldn't say I'd say that maybe qualifies as body horror a little bit. Um, But, uh, but yeah, just the way that it, that it dispatches robotic and, and organic bodies is again, disturbing, but also tremendous fun. And he finds humor in it. Uh, it's, it, it is very much the Robert Rodriguez that we like and that we know, um, And it just feels like a very uncompromising film. And the action is, yeah, sometimes they jump from one action sequence to the next with very little connective tissue and it feels so abrupt that it almost feels impatient. But that's kind of how Rodriguez is sometimes where he's like, I don't have, who cares? (laughs) Who cares? Let's just get to the next thing. Um, And so while I'll absolutely acknowledge that narratively it's kind of a mess and I think they make Alita maybe a little bit too indestructible by the end. Um, there's still such joy in the filmmaking and such excitement that uh, that I, I think back on it pretty fondly. And it's a film that I find myself wishing I had seen a second time in the theater right. as well. Yeah, I want to check it out, but I wish I'd piled it in the theater for sure. Yeah, I think that came out in February,
2: right? Uh, around there. Yeah. Yeah, I was moving then. Stupid mm. life. Stupid moving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, My number two Do you think you'll have a chance To see it in the theater At the end of the year? No There's no way they'd put it up Not enough for What studio was it? For visual effects It was Fox wasn't it? I think so Yeah now Disney They don't care Yeah they don't okay. give a shit. That's yeah. That's true. Um, my number two might be when we put a pin in uh, the souvenir.
1: Yeah, let's put a pin in there. All right. So moving on to my number two, which is okay. the one that I'm ready to, to fight over because Scott didn't like it. And that's Olivia Wilde's Booksmart.
2: It's fine. I didn't dislike it. It's just
1: <laughs> not sexist. That. Are you a se- that's what it is. Uh, I, no, I, I, I would not. Uh, obviously, you're joking, but um, I, I don't want to hold up Booksmart as like representing anything great. I think the movie... Uh, in, in terms of what you're talking about, like uh, it, you know, I think yeah, people talk about it like, oh, it's the female super bad female director that yeah. it, like represents something. I, I'm, if that, if you are a woman and that you feel that way about it, I, I'm glad for you. That's not. I just like it because it's really, really funny. Yeah, it's also really, um, really spry. <coughs> it, it it moves very quickly. The editing is is great. Uh, Olivia Wilde is not just pointing the camera at funny people, um, uh, even though she could at certain at, at certain points, and sometimes she does just hang back and let certain people be funny but uh, I like that the movie again first and foremost, I just laughed constantly, uh, especially the um, the one gay kid who runs the murder mystery party that he's the best yeah. who um, talks about his trip to Barcelona <laughs> and oh, uh, the biggest laugh I had. The entire movie is when he's uh, doing Moore said at karaoke and he gets to the when he go down on you in a theater line and literally deep throats the karaoke <laughs> mic. I laughed so hard. That's the funniest thing in the movie to me. Uh, so there's all kinds of funny stuff like that. Um, I la- uh, the movie seems to take place in some sort of slightly alternate dimension, I guess, um, in, uh, in terms of how. Kids behave and how they go off to college and stuff like that. Um, uh, I, I kind of like that, or I kind of mostly. It was fully conceived enough that I didn't really think that much about uh, what it was, what that meant, or or if that was difficult to swallow that all these kids were going to the college that the, these these great colleges. Um, uh, there was something else. Oh yes, and then but mostly mostly because it's funny, but also. I think the movie has a lot of affection for its characters and draws a lot of these characters or relies on performers, I think, to draw the characters in specific ways that maybe aren't there on the page. I think of, uh, you know, if you've got your, your two leads are really good, but the other two performances I really want to, pick out um, and one I forget her name uh, who plays Ryan uh, Caitlin Deaver's crush um, you know what I'm talking about yeah. you saw the movie um, she's terrific she felt yeah, like sure. the kind of person you'd have a crush on in high school um, in, in a lot of ways and then the number one I want to point out is Billy Lord who is right. taking uh, the kind of character you see in every one of these movies I think on the movie journal I like compared to Slater in Days of Confused you know, who's just like the goofball who pops up and has uh, says funny things and then imbues her with so much humanity that you actually like especially when you uh the now i forget his name too who played uh, jared i think is the character's name who was her friend yeah. Gigi's friend uh when you hear him talk about her there's so much the, there's so much humanity to this completely gonzo character that billy lord created um and i think that's i, I think that's you know tyler you and i talk about how actors stepping behind the camera can um often go awry mm. but I think the way that Olivia Wilde sort of trusts the actors to I think develop these even these smaller uh, uh, supporting characters uh, I don't even know if Ryan is even a supporting character she's a, a plot device really who ends up being I think a, the terrific. performance is so good that there's uh, uh,
2: enough of a character there
1: yeah uh, uh, so yeah it was, I really liked it I laughed a lot that's the most important thing and as is often important with comedies I felt like it moved really quickly mm-hmm. All right. You don't have any
2: rebuttal? I I didn't like the kind of alternate reality thing that you hinted at, that there's, like, everything's a little too neat. There's no real, like, room for characters just be negative to each other for no reason there's no like even when the two have their big fight which is inevitable in these types of movies it fades out and into music because it can't get too ugly and the moment when it does we don't even hear sure it it just kind of avoids a lot of the nastiness that's inherent to high school
1: in Mm. favor of everyone being pleasant and friendly. But that's a more fertile ground for all the jokes I think for the for the type of jokes this movie is making. It's not this isn't a satire. It's it not It doesn't a have dark to be a satire, comedy. but you uh, can tell the same jokes and still acknowledge that uh people in high school are just shitting to each
2: other a lot of the time for no reason not at this school <laughs>
0: yeah exactly
1: <laughs> yeah and that, that was yeah I definitely noticed that but uh, it didn't it didn't take me on
0: it. All right. and it seemed fully conceived but that's actually it's interesting uh, having not seen the film but listening to this conversation because Scott I know that something that you and I have in common is that we tend to feel like too much pleasantness (laughs) winds up sort of diluting comedy. I remember there's something you and I talked about with Parks and Rec is that after a while and the office that like after a while, everybody gets along so well and everyone's hugging all the time. That's just like the humor comes out of the occasional idiosyncrasy of a character. But considering where certainly where the office started yeah. not that it was necessarily mean spirited but it's steered into that awkwardness and then by the end everyone's just friends all the time yeah. Yeah, and it I does like get
1: <laughs> I like that I like I like the mom and the onion article who just wants to watch a nice movie yeah yeah <laughs> um so, uh, yeah, I
0: remember um, back when, David, when you and I were at Columbia and I was taking a film noir screenwriting class and my mom was asking, like, oh, what kind of script are you writing? And I told her some of it. And, of course, there's betrayal and violence and all that kind of thing. And she's like, I just want you to write nice things. I'm like, Mom, it's a film noir screenwriting <laughs> class. That's like the whole deal is that yeah. nice doesn't happen. Uh, and if it does, you can't trust it. Uh, OK, so right, my. Go. Drum roll. Number my one. number one. With a Bullet. Now nah, I like to lead a Battle Angel quite a bit. <laughs> those are those are like oh, okay. definitively like my top 2 okay. and I would say if I were to revamp my list I'd probably say Fighting with My Family is like number 3. Okay. Um, and this is Hans Petter Mullen's Cold Pursuit.
1: Oh yeah, I really want to stuck, see this. You should have stuck with the With a Bullet thing. I know that I would've would've did played have that thought well <laughs> that.
0: Yeah. Um, no, I like this movie too. Yeah, it really Talk about a dark <coughs> comedy. Yeah. And one that what's so (laughs) what's so wonderful about it is that, you know, in a way, here's the thing, David, you had kind of told me about some of the dark humor which made me want to see it and in a way i wish that i didn't know that it was funny but then frankly if i thought it was just a straightforward liam neeson action movie i probably wouldn't have seen it right so uh but i I do find myself wondering like if you were somebody going to see it thinking it was going to be the commuter or taken or something like that i just went to a press screen i I Uh, had no
1: idea what, what, what i was in for either
0: and it's not and even going in Expecting it to be funny. It doesn't announce itself as funny for a while. It's more just there are some moments here and there like, huh.
1: Like when they go to identify their son's body? Yeah. Which is one of the darkest. Or when Liam
0: Neeson is going to kill himself and has the barrel of a rifle in his mouth Uh when someone gets his attention and he looks over and it's like just still in his mouth? (laughs) It's it's ridiculous I mean that you don't get darker than that um and so uh it's but within that like the characters are delightful and they're you know they're heightened in a way that I appreciate um and and then like the keeping track of the bodies and all that is fun and it's just a it's it's such a it just has such a clear sense of what it is and it doesn't apologize for it. And it doesn't compromise. Like this is the movie we're making. Yes. It has all the trappings of an, of these types of thrillers. And yet it still finds the, the, I would say like the humor, but I would say the absurdity, like it doesn't have to look too hard to find the absurdity, it doesn't have to incorporate these weird twists and turns to find the absurdity. All it does, not unlike Doctor Strangelove, and the fact that uh, that it was essentially based on a book that wasn't that funny, it's like the the situation is so ridiculous and and absurd we don't have to do we don't have to change it that much we just need to dig a little bit and even then we don't have to dig that deep because it is so inherently goofy and silly um it just it's the kind of thing that i could see someone getting mad about because I could see someone feeling like this movie ruins all the other ones. <laughs> because now they're like, yeah. Oh, I can't take these quite so seriously anymore.
1: I remember when I first saw it, I was a little a little put off by how outside of Liam Neeson, most of the most of the game like Crime World characters, I think the performances were very arch and like in yeah, retrospect yeah. I think oh I think that's actually by design. Absolutely. That, yeah. That he's a regular guy in there in the world of these type of movies. Yeah. Uh, yeah and uh there's some corny jokes too, like uh, uh do you have any idea what I can do to you people on yelp <laughs> yeah it's, and then That's and it's, how a, uh, organized crime leader threatens a hotel, yeah, sure. <laughs> hotel <laughs> <question>. <laughs> yeah it's uh
0: it's complex and complicated and fun and bloody and it's I enjoyed it quite a bit, so it's, that is currently my number one of the year all right um what's your number? One? My number one is uh christian Petzl's Transit. Uh,
2: which have you seen, I couldn't remember if we saw this no, together.
1: No. Yeah. I, I, I haven't seen this, this one. I'm uh, yeah. On the fence. Cause I didn't love Phoenix as much as everybody else did, okay. but I love Barbara maybe more than everyone else did. So it's possible. Uh, I'm not sure if this is more Barbara or more Phoenix,
2: but uh, you can reverse those for me. Cause I liked Barbara a little less and yeah, phoenix i'd say about as much as most people did uh but transit is really remarkable <laughs> and it's got a premise that's so good to be hard to mess up and i don't mean premise as a narrative but as an almost aesthetic it's based on a 1942 novel um but it adapts it pretty straight but it transports the events to modern times kind of there's no cell phones the wardrobe that people wear is kind of like uh era what's the word agnostic I guess like there's no like oh, it doesn't okay. feel like modern dress but it doesn't feel like period dress either uh but the buildings are all modern the police cars are modern everything about it is modern except it's still telling the story it's very much a 1942 story to the extent that it kind of is or isn't because it's about this guy who is on the run from in the novel it's explicitly nazis in the movie it's just a vaguely fascistist government um he uh, comes upon the identity papers of this writer who committed suicide, uh, and who had a way out of the country that he's trying to escape. Um, but he's not quite taking that avenue just yet. He's spending some time in, I think Marseille somewhere that's kind of, uh, demilitarized zones, kind of like Casablanca in this way, um, where everyone's trying to get out of, and he has the papers that can get him out. And he's trying to figure out the best thing to do with that, uh, power and that information um and along the way he meets a woman who turns out to be the wife of the brighter he's impersonating and who it turns out he also looks a lot like and so there's so many elements of the film that kind of exist in this purgatorial uh, place whether it's from the aesthetic premise of existing between two times or all these people existing between two points in their lives um, and it's just a really spellbinding and fascinating story. It's almost kind of like a ghost story about living people um, because everyone feels a little out of place, a little displaced and a little part of it. That also is cemented through the narration, which is not by any of the main characters and we don't find out till late in the film who is telling the story and that kind of accounts for some of the uh inconsistencies most the common line you hear against narration is like well you can just show it on screen but what this narration gives us is the differences there's some things that the narrator says happens that mm-hmm. we don't see happen or that happen differently than the way he describes them and that's just another element of kind of this purgatorial like transitory state that the film exists in and it's just a really in any other context it would also be a really involving movie but since we're also in the midst of our own refugees crisis it's an interesting way to get at that without directly tackling it and more getting in at it in a genre-y way that I think we're more accustomed to seeing and which um, in a way makes it more palatable in a way but also more relatable in that it's part of an ongoing story of people being thrust out of various places by um, two powerful governments and two powerful forces that uh, they're constantly trying to make their way and constantly trying to help each other out in small ways and figure out what's next without um, having really any power over their lives. Uh, It's a really powerful film that I can't wait to see again.
1: All right, moving on to my number one which has already been given away, that's uh, Joanna Hogg's The Souvenir, uh, which was the final film that I saw at this year's Sundance Film Festival, um, which has been like a good indicator for me. <laughs> like the final, like film, the final film, because I think the year before it was Madeline's Madeline. Right. And the year before that, it was something in in 2017. I can't remember. Oh, it was Call Me By Your Name. There you go. Uh, and um, in 2016, it was uh, that Philip Roth one that I forget the name. Of. <laughs> yeah. Indignation? Indignation, yes. Uh, which is fine. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so the souvenir is a, a largely autobiographical i guess yeah uh, tale of a um young film student in london in the 1980s um uh who comes from wealth uh and is trying to figure out how to make her thesis film in a very sort of uh i i think the way that a lot of young privileged condescending liberals <laughs> do without realizing they're being condescending like I'll, I'm going to tell a story about they're like Barton Fink in a way right. you know well, uh, And she won't. the difference is she's. I think she's genuinely curious
2: about that world and generally it's part of her larger desire to break out and just get more of a sense of the world than what she was brought up in yeah. but she doesn't realize that she's completely incapable of addressing yeah. it at age 18 I, or 19 or whatever you yeah. know she's older than that she's like 20 something
1: yeah uh, and, and at the same time she's uh, falling in love with a uh, Government official who's also a heroin addict. Right. Um, talk about movies that Richard Iode uh, is great in. Uh, he's got um, he's got just one scene. I that's think? all I remember. Yeah, just one scene in the Souvenir. That's uh, a huge scene that he's terrific in. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you've got uh, Honor Swinton Byrne is that yeah. uh, her name uh, as the lead and uh, something Burke Tom Burke Tom Burke as as the heroin addict. And uh Joanna Hogg's style now I haven't seen her other films. Unrelated I've seen archipelago exhibition. uh exhibition. Okay. Um and so I don't know if this is a stylistic departure, this is what she always does in that the camera is so largely at a distance, largely sort of head on, almost like proscenium type of filmmaking for a lot of scenes. That's right?
2: That's very much an exhibition, even that's more so style. an exhibition.
1: Um, and so, uh, yeah, she lets these things unfold, uh, the, you've got a great script and cast and great set direction. So they can happen like that. But then she also peppers in these sort of like impressionistic handheld moments here and here yeah. and there, you know, there's, there's a part where, um, I think she's saying he's going off to work or going off on a work trip or something and she's saying goodbye. And suddenly it cuts closer to him sort of leaning in and saying, I love you or something or saying goodbye. I don't remember like that. um, And I, uh, I don't know. I, I have my thoughts of what those things are that I think, uh, I think those moments are not necessarily as they are actually happening to the character, okay. but they're as this character will remember them in the future. Mm. That's how I interpreted those. I don't know if you had any, uh, I didn't even how notice how that,
2: used. uh, trend. So I'll be curious to rewatch it with
1: that in mind. Oh yeah. There's only, there's only like three or four of them. Okay. Yeah. There's, there's one, yeah. She's saying goodbye. There's another one. She's on the bed and she picks up like a stuffed animal or something. And something okay. the camera's like closer and handheld, um, uh, anyway, it's a, a, a very, uh, uh, on the one hand, it seems like a very, uh, formally rigorous movie that seems very considered from all angles. And on the other hand, it also, I think because of her experience and because of the performances in the script, it also feels very natural and organic. Yeah. At the same time. Uh, the script is apparently
2: mostly improvised, um, hmm. or the dialogue rather, uh, which is surprising in one sense in that it's so precise with how much it accomplishes in each scene. And each scene has a driving momentum that most improvised movies don't really associate that with. Um, but also the characters talk so naturally that I was, I didn't know that when I saw it. So I assumed that it was just written exceptionally well, (laughs) that it has this very careful balance between driving everything forward and Character speaking in a very offhanded way that most dialogue isn't written in. Um, so, yeah, I think that also speaks to that balance you're talking about. And the performances are just, I mean, Tom Burke to me is the performance of the year. Not even before we find out what is wrong with him and what he's struggling with he's just so strange and compelling to watch yeah. the way he just like seems to linger on every word and overpronounces things and has this sort of like classical British uh, affectation of class that I didn't know when the movie was set when it started and so I assumed it was set a little earlier because he seems to still be holding on to like this wartime idea of what upper class Britishness looks like oh right um, but by the 1980s I mean I'm sure they were trying to bring that back a bit with Thatcher and all that uh, but it, he almost feels Feels like he's removed from time. I mean, the introduction we get to him is like in this tea house that, like, yeah. I never think of, I never see that exist in the eighties, you know. Yeah.
1: But the music, the music, uh, the, the actual songs when they come. Yeah, by the, the time very, the, 80s, very by the time records. the
2: soundtrack kind of kicked yeah. in.
1: Actually, one thing my number one and Tyler's number one have in common. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The song 2,000 Miles by The Pretenders is really? in The Souvenir and in Cold Pursuit. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> which is a great, great
2: song. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, the hell else I was going to say. Um, but yeah, I, I, the way I've been describing it to people is about a young woman who wants to make movies but doesn't know what kind of movie she wants to make and wants to be in a relationship but just, she doesn't know what kind of relationship she wants to be in yet. And the film Wisely doesn't put a pin in either of those or like, identify that that's what it's about. It just kind of gradually finds its way along that. And her attachment to him in spite of everything he does to her is so affecting i think it's really kind of heartbreaking and there's numerous times where i could hear the audience around me getting sick of it and like when's she gonna leave this guy (laughs) but i i I guess i don't know what kind of relationships these people have where you can so easily just disconnect yourself from people who mean a great deal to you even if they mean more to you than you do to them like that's such a to me uh Ineffably human characteristic that I'm always on board when the film explores it, and especially that this does it so deftly and so kind of carefully without her. It's not like she's madly in love with him and will do anything for him. You know, there's times when she does push him away, and there's times when, but the fact that she's continuing to be drawn to him, I found uh, very touching.
1: Uh, yeah, me too. I'm looking forward to the sequel, which is in production. Robert Pattinson is no longer in it, though. I know. Because of a Christopher Nolan movie, I think. Yeah. It? Well, yeah. and he was supposed
2: to, I think, play the Tom Burke role
1: in this. So I'm
2: kind of glad oh. that didn't work out because I like Tom Burke so much. Yeah, in Tom it. Burke's terrific. Yeah. Um, so maybe it could very well end up for the best.
1: Yeah. All right. So that's uh, our top fives. I want to run down. This has been a great year for 2018 movies that have gone in 2019. <laughs> so I'm going I'm to rush through. uh And I'm surprised that more of these uh, didn't make your uh, list, Scott. I I only had five to go with, man. Uh, I know you've seen some of these, but let me... Ashes Purest White, Her Smell, The Chambermaid, Three Faces, Hotel by the River, Climax, uh, The Image Book, Nonfiction is on my list, High Life, The Fall of the American Empire, Charlie Says, Too Late to Die Young, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, Rafiki, Starfish, and Island of the Hungry Ghosts are all 2018 movies that I have seen in 2019. Uh, uh, from what I remember from your list, The Image Book and Hotel by the River came the
2: closest to being in my top five, but you know, you only have five slots.
1: <laughs> Did you see Ashes Purest White?
2: Yeah, I really like it. Yeah, that's that's very much that up there. Might still be lingering my top ten, but it's hard to say.
1: Um, and then uh, Scott, you said you wanted to mention twenty nineteen movies that we have seen that haven't come out yet. What do you? Oh, think?
2: I guess just at a glance. Well, it's interesting because you know a lot of these would be in my top five, um, but uh, can't because they have not yet uh, right. been released. At least as, as of the end of June. Um, so La certainly the fourteen hour incredible six part. Yeah six like episode 11. four part films hard to say how yeah. to classify
1: I'm like 11 it. hours into it yeah. so uh, I'll, I'll let you know but totally <laughs> compelling, compelling right you can't oh, stop yeah. watching I, it I was saying to you off mic that yeah. I'm sad I've watched 11 hours of the movie and I'm sad that I have to that I'm almost done with it yeah uh, and then just kind of scrolling through here uh, if we do not
2: do not go down Yeah, I do not care if we're down. on history as barbarians recently got announced uh, for late July release yeah, so i very excited about that I saw that AFI Fest and totally loved it um i guess asako one and two did come out in new york it never came out here so i'm always a little lost there
1: um that's the same with lafleur right now is only new york is scheduled right or are they yeah
2: yeah um and then i just i don't know if this would make my top five but i I just saw it a couple of days ago um and it came out in july so we wouldn't count it anyway uh but midsummer is really terrific
1: Uh, okay I'll mention um, <coughs> most of these are Sundance things uh, Honeyland I didn't see at Sundance on the just out of the day and is incredible okay uh, yeah I'm really which is looking actually, to it I shouldn't say incredible as a compliment about a documentary because that I'm means the opposite <laughs> <laughs> what I mean uh, no it's, it's, uh, it's stunning okay. um, This Honeyland is actually currently my number one movie of the year also at Sundance uh, and close uh, on Honeyland's tail uh, is Gurinder Chavez Blinded by the Light Um, you've also got uh, uh, The Report which I'm sure is not coming out until November because it's it's (laughs) like an awards type movie Um, but that's terrific and then a movie that I loved at Sundance that no one else seemed to uh is the um Baharnvari's horror movie, horror movie Wounds with uh Oh I am excited Bac- for it, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> it's awesome. some people hated it yeah. though at Sundance, unfortunately, but uh, I really liked it. And then yeah, there's other stuff I saw at Sundance that still doesn't have a release date, like We Are Little Zombies and The Death of Dick Long. Those were great. Um but uh yeah, that's uh I feel like A I feel like 2018 is an even better movie year than I realized, having caught up on these. That's always how it happens, things. though. Uh, but I feel like especially this year, I'm seeing okay. like I see a lot of uh, I'm seeing a lot of great movies uh, in 2018 or from 2018, uh, and it sounds like we got some good stuff to look forward to. So yeah. uh, uh, we'll have a great top ten uh, season. Uh, Maybe <laughs> at the end, <laughs> you're gonna it, see some it,
0: movies at some point. I'll see. I'm gonna say. Eight more movies, okay.
1: <laughs> but yeah, don't feel bad about that. You're doing. You're shaping young minds. Uh, you're forming the next uh, generation of cineasts. Sorry, cinephiles. I guess, I guess the so. listeners tell me not to say cineast. Why? I, th- I guess the the connotation is something more specific. Oh, okay. Huh. Um, so it is to me. Yeah, uh, I've been told more, by more than one person that I should say cinephile and not cineast.
0: You know, I'm reminded I, I was. Watching uh, Silicon Valley a while ago, and uh, Andy Daly is uh, delightful as uh, Richard's doctor, who's just an asshole. But at one point, he uh, he's like, he goes, "All right, come on, Frankenstein." He goes, "Oh, you mean Frankenstein's monster?" And he's like, "What? Oh, you're one of those." (laughs) And the guys and the guy says, uh, and then Richard, he's like, "Well, it's just you know because Frankenstein's the doctor and Frankenstein's monster." And Andy Daly's like, he goes, "Yeah, I know." He's like, "You know, if you want to be happier, just..." why don't you just go along with what people say and have fun? And, and and like, and there are times where it's like, on one hand, I don't agree with the doctor. On the other hand, I'm like, yeah, but you know what? If I did, I'd probably be a lot happier. Yeah. Yeah. Have you guys seen
2: somebody just took the last page of Frankenstein? I don't know if you guys have read the book (laughs) where the Frankenstein ends with like the monster, like floating away on a raft or something. Mm -hmm. Um, and then somebody just like hand wrote in and as the monster floated away, I could faintly hear his cry and say, You can just call me Frankenstein. Really, I don't mind.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, you can find us at Battleship Retention. All of us. um, At one time or another. I'm so bad at... 12 years and you'd think I'd know how to host a fucking podcast. Uh, I don't have the, I don't have my plugs uh, called up like I yeah. wanted them. Uh,
2: Literally every episode of Criterion Cast we start and I have no idea what episode number it is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, this week on on the, uh, over at com movie, movie Meltdown sat down with Sam Irvin. I reviewed the re-release of The Return of Martin um, uh Alex talked about The Secret of Rowan Inish, the John Sayles movie. I reviewed Marianne and Leonard, and the re-release of Paris is Burning. Sarah refu- reviewed Phil. There's all kinds of reviews going on over at BattleshipRetention.com, And at the Patreon this week is a mailbag episode, or this past week. Right, was yes. a mailbag.
0: Coming up is a TV journal.
1: Yes, that's what we're in between. You can uh, find those uh, on the website. If you're a patron, you can sign up for patron or sign up for our Patreon at Patreon.com/slash Battleship Retention. Th- those that have in the past
0: said that they enjoy listening to us talk about the Amazing Race, uh, that is where we talk about it. We talk about it on our Patreon TV Journal.
1: Yeah, and so. uh, our new. Um, our new shared passion our new show within a show uh, our kitchen nightmares recap podcast exactly. what's that there yes uh, yes <laughs> anyway that's all at Battleship Retention on the TV journal coming up this week uh, you can find us uh, you can email me at David at Battleship com you can email, email Tyler at Tyler at Battleship com you can find me on Twitter at Davy Pretension you can find T- Tyler at Tyler Pretension anything to plug uh,
0: over at uh, more than one lesson um, the fear of God is, has been putting out some pretty interesting episodes and then and um, one of my writers uh, Bob sort of in my prompting um, he was watching Jaws on 4th of July as many people do and he was uh, and he sent me a message He's like I love this movie so much but then he was like as we grumpy uh movie people tend to be he was like yes it's like you know if they made this movie now i don't think they'd let this uh quint monologue thing go on <laughs> and i was like sounds like an article write it up <laughs> and so he wrote an article about that so if you want to if you want to engage in some crotchety old manism uh head on over to more than scott
1: what do people find you on the
2: internet uh on twitter at rail of tomorrow and at battleship pretension and criterion cast nothing really to plug especially since I just was on the show like a week ago two weeks
1: ago you've been on uh, a number of times yeah you're always welcome oh yeah for sure I'm just saying since then nothing's changed oh Oh, yeah (laughs) okay Uh, well thank you for being here Scott Uh, yeah thank you at home for listening we'll get you next time bye bye